Welcome to episode 49 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And today I'm chatting with Atlanta author, blogger, and comic Jim Hodgson. Jim and I are going to chat about writing, truth-telling, and how to navigate the ever-changing publishing industry. But before we get started, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who came out and shopped on Black Friday and Small Business Saturday and supported um, not only downtown Thomasville, but specifically if you stopped in the bookshelf. Thank you so much. Um, Every purchase matters. Um, When you shop locally, every purchase really does matter. It helps Um, It helps pay my employees, it helps support the business, and it helps make sure the bookshelf can remain a Thomasville staple for years to come. So we had great days on Black Friday and Small Business Saturday. Um, I'm recording this on Monday and I'm still a little bit in recovery mode, but we are so grateful to our customers and our readers and our listeners who choose to support the bookshelf in whatever ways you can. Just a reminder, too, that if you are a long-distance listener of the podcast, you can always shop with us online at www.bookshelfthomasville.com, or you can always email me directly um, or navigate through our website and just email me your special orders as well. We're happy to order for you um, and ship to you even if you are long-distance. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Hi, Jim. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me. So we kind of have been emailing back and forth, um, but since listeners don't know who you are, tell me a little bit about your background and how you found yourself a writer. (laughs) Um, I was thinking about that. I, I feel like... I don't know, it escapes me to think about that but uh, sometimes, but uh, I've been thinking about it for the last uh, few minutes. <laughs> um, I don't know when it really started, except I remember I had a friend who was very much, uh, very much interested in it, uh, writing and, and reading, you know, stuff that I thought was really cool. Like, uh, he was reading Tropic of Cancer when we were still middle schoolers, and I just thought that was he, that was just so grown up. Right. Uh, and he's now a, a, he's a creative writing professor now. Oh, how funny. Um, so uh, I just thought that was so cool. And he was a close friend. He was my best friend. And uh, I we just sort of got into it together, I guess. I mean, he, he showed it to me and then I read stuff I liked. And, and then I just, it just never went away for me. I, I, I uh, just always liked it. You know, kept on writing through high school and college and things like that, just dabbling. Um, having fun and then uh, when my mom passed away it, it, I just uh, I really leaned on it and, re- and really turned to it and uh, it, it really it helped me get through that uh, situation with uh, losing a parent and uh, from there it's been it's gone from being something that I do uh, for fun as a hobby to something I just can't live without you know so often we say um, writers are most always or seem to always be readers and so I love that reading kind of kind of opened the door and served as the gateway I guess into into writing um as a bookseller I always like to hear that oh yeah well that I you know it it, it doesn't go away I mean you gotta you have to prime the pump I mean there's no there's just no end to the benefits you know not only are you being entertained but you're seeing other people's craft and their storytelling and there's no end to it, as I say. 
So tell me about your books. Uh, you have written several, correct? Yes. I, well, uh, when I decided to do this seriously, I, for many years I worked as a, uh, a professional musician. It was a lot of fun, but it just sort of, it, it just came to an end for me because for a lot of reasons. First of all, I was fired. <laughs> uh, uh, I was in a, a, a band that was on Zach Brown's label, but, um, you know, they, they, they said, hey, look, we're going to go into uh, a different direction this year with a guitar player, a band leader. And um, I was like, hey, you know, cool. Uh, that, that happens in, in entertainment. That's, that's part of the deal. And then uh, about a week later, I got a text from a friend of mine. It was like, hey, who's this guitar player they have? Oh, that was fast. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. But you know what? To be fair, the guy that they got to replace me was younger dinner uh he had much better gear uh he was a better good he was a better guitar player you know i mean pretty much on every possible metric he was just crushing me so uh, i can't really hate too much on that but also I, I was just tired of staying up late and traveling and driving late at night you know i mean you, you face this sort of 3 a.m decision am i going to sleep in the back of a pickup truck or am i going to try to drive home you know from Nashville starting at 3 a.m. to Atlanta, which is, a, you know, many hours. I, I, I don't like being up late. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, my lady Megan and I try to be in bed by 10 o'clock, and if we can get in bed by 9.30, it's like high-five, boring <laughs> people. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, writing kind of is a little, lends itself to that a little more than playing bars at, late at night. Yeah, so I got kicked out of that thing that I had been doing that was the thing that I always wanted to do, which is be a, a rock and roll guitar player. Uh, I got fired, and I just said, okay, I'm, I'm at, I don't want to be at a crossroads, but I'm at a crossroads. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. What can I do? start doing now that I can do for the rest of my life and enjoy for the rest of my life? That was after I had just benefited so much from writing about my feelings when my mom died that I just said, you know, this has become a big part of my life. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I need something that's creative, and um, I can do this. I enjoy it, so here I go. And so do you write mostly fiction or nonfiction or both? I do both. I, um, I, my bestseller is a, a how-to book on mountain climbing. You know, I started, I, that was the first book I released. It wasn't the first book I started, but it was the first one I, I, I published myself sort of a humorous how-to on climbing this particular mountain in South America called Aconcagua, which is the tallest the tallest mountain outside the Himalayas, but the tallest in the western and southern hemispheres. So are you an outdoorsman, too? Uh, well, I hesitate <laughs> to claim because I do like going outside. I do love <laughs> outside stuff, but I feel like outdoorsman means that I'm able to impart some wisdom, and I don't know. <laughs> That's fair. That's honest. I like it. Um, and your newest book, Ten Thousand Gods, it is, is it, would you call that science fiction? What would you call that? Well, uh, I'm calling it urban fantasy. Yeah, that's it, a good, uh, I like that, urban fantasy. I think that's an acknowledged genre. I'm just a guy who's writing books here. I, I, right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm calling it urban fantasy. Um, it, the description, um, 
sounds like it would appeal to fans of, I don't know if you've, I know he's pretty popular in our little part of the world, but um, Jeff Vandermeer is, he's from, he's from Tallahassee and he's written this great trilogy of books that are kind of, I don't, I don't want to call them um, zombie books, but I guess they are kind of apocalyptic, but they take place in North Florida, South Georgia. um, And people love them. So I do think urban fantasy is kind of a, I don't want to say up and coming, but maybe it's becoming more mainstream than it used to be. Is that the uh, Southern Reach trilogy? Yes, the Southern Reach trilogy, yes. Yes. Um, uh, Well, I haven't read that. I certainly should because I'm very familiar with that area of the country. I mean, I'm I'm from uh, Alabama. My mother's family is all from the uh, Gulf Coast of Alabama. Oh, okay. uh, That sort of uh, region is, is familiar to me, so I would probably like that a lot. Yeah, you know, I get uh, comparisons a lot to uh, American Gods. Uh, there's some um, some some of the ideas in American Gods are, are uh, you know you could you could find in Ten Thousand Gods. Um, I wrote it because I felt like well, I, I was just brought up to be very very religious. Uh, my my grandparents wanted me to be a Presbyterian minister, like a famous Presbyterian minister. <laughs> it just didn't take. <laughs> um, you know, they, as much as they wanted me to be uh, a really religious guy, they also just, you know, loved me very much and would have been fine with whatever I wanted to do, I have no doubt. Right. Um, I, I just feel like if Jesus gets to have, you know, a rapture, it seems like everybody's religion should get to have a rapture. And then if you're going to do religions, then what about people who do things religious? They're not religious, but they do certain things religiously, like, you know, what if you're an atheist, but you worship football the way other people worship? Mm. <laughs> you know, so they get, there's a god of football and the god of bowling, and uh, and that that leap led me to, like, well, what what about an atheist? Like, if you're, if you're really passionate about being an atheist, then and there's this sort of egalitarian rapture that there would be a god of atheism. Um, Interesting. And that, that paradox um, is the kind of thing that I really enjoy. <laughs> Speaking as a, a nerd, you know, yeah, that's really interesting. And did you, did I see on your website that you're publishing this kind of in serial form? Yes, yes. And why did you um, make that decision? Uh, a couple of reasons. First of all, I've just heard that it's a really good idea, a really great way to build an audience. And I'm, I do try to do some marketing, but I, my belief about my work is that if I can do, just do good, honest work, that an audience will find me. Um, yeah. But... I've heard that um, I've heard that releasing serially is a good way to, to sort of always have something to be talking about. And there's the there's the theory that every book is an entry point. So the more books you have, the more likely you are to be found on Amazon, uh, for example. So I, I think there are some there there are some sort of technical ideas there. But also, I was just I thought it was so cool that uh, do you remember the television series Babylon Five? Yeah, yeah. The Star Trek property. I thought it was so cool that that whole series had a story arc. It had a it had a five year arc, as I recall, and they went through the arc and it ended. I just think it's so neat if there's something that has episodes but it ends. I've been annoyed a number of times when I feel like series go on until the author just doesn't care at all anymore. <laughs> yes, yeah. Doing it. Now, forgive me if this hurts anybody's feelings, <laughs> but the end of the Dark Tower series made me want to jump off a bridge. <laughs> um, 
books, and then it was going to be 10, and then it was 13, and then he handed it to Brandon Sanderson, and he made it into three more. You know? Yeah. I definitely think I mean, it look, becomes a money-making, you know, once people find yeah. out there's, it's successful, why stop, I guess? Well, now, and as I'm saying all this, I, if any of my books ever do anything, <laughs> both, I'm going to beat that drum until it cannot be beaten anymore, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, I, I want to wear nice clothes and smoke fancy cigars and eat steaks and that kind of thing, so um, I'm sure that I will do exactly the same thing and happily happily but um so i wanted to write this this series i wanted to write episodes that had uh each episode has an arc of its own but they're a piece of a, a greater arc and i wanted to write a very a long book by my standards i mean it's it's twice as long as anything i've written previously um so six parts and um, there were some themes i really wanted to address like the way that uh, sort of journalism has become, you know, when when the when the internet came around, we all told each other that we were going to do better than the mainstream media, and we were going to everybody was going to have a global voice, and we we're all going to we we're all going to talk about each other in a respectful way, not in a sort of yellow journalism way that it seems like the the media was doing. But actually, we make all these cold judgments about one another, and that has become shame, publicly shaming people has become so popular that the mainstream media has to do it now in order to keep up with social media. So yeah, it, it, it's just, yeah, it's, I don't know if you read John, uh, John Ronson's oh, yeah. book. Um, but I yeah. read that earlier. So you've been publicly shamed. Yes. I, I read that earlier this year and I thought, Oh my gosh, this, I mean, it's so accurate, but it's terrifying. I mean, and, and sad. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, I, um, was a journalism major in undergrad. And so to watch, now the I guess quote unquote new media or newer media and watch kind of conversations, political conversations or religious conversations or any kind of things that really should be more nuanced and thoughtful and they're reduced to sound bites and tweets and yeah, it's um it it's sad to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he um Robin has just been making the rounds of the uh, podcast. So um he was on uh Hardwick um Hardwick's nerdist podcast oh yeah yeah um, if you want to give that a listen he talks a little bit more about it but um, you know so I wanted to be able to address some of those things that, that frustrate me I mean um, I, I writing for me is a great catharsis so um, things that that make me feel upset or ineffectual I, I'm usually in a rush to write about them first so that I can understand exactly how I feel about them but also so that I can just process the feeling Absolutely. Um, how often do you plan on releasing the the six parts of um, of Ten Thousand Gods? You know, it's sort of in flux. Um, I was uh, I was planning on doing it. I was planning on releasing one a month, but I think it's probably going to end up more like one every two weeks ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to release the next episode on uh, uh, here on in the beginning of December, but. I don't actually have firm dates. I probably should. <laughs> no, I, I'm i just curious. I love the idea. So um, uh, Andy Weir, the author of The Martian, um, The Martian, oh, yeah. yeah, it also started as a serial piece. And you're absolutely right. I mean, of course, I would prefer that everybody who just writes good work or who puts good work out there, that they get the audience they deserve. And sometimes I do think that happens. But 
um, the act of serializing your work, I do think, makes you gather followers. And I know Andy Weir, he got so much attention on Amazon. Um, and of course, as you know, as an indie bookstore owner, I wince when I hear Amazon, but that's the way that's the way the publishing industry is moving. And so they, you know, his book garnered so much attention on Amazon that that's when a publisher found him. So um, I do think the serialized um, book release, or I, I think that's a great way to do it. And that and that's how you know Dickens did it too. So you're in good company. Sure. I think. Yeah. Well, you know, in Weir's case, it wasn't his first. Uh, the Martian is not his first book. Uh, you can find, you can go on his, you can still read The Martian on his website. And I mean, but it wasn't the first book he had written, so he's been, he's been going for a while. Um, yeah, I, just I messaged with him a little bit on the internet, and he's just about the nicest guy you could ever meet. Uh, you know, in addition to being a talented writer, he's, he's just one of those guys that you cannot possibly begrudge success because he's, just such a sweet dude. Yeah. I, I wrote a little bit, uh, I wrote a page of, of, of Mark Watney Day. Uh, I inserted a day into uh, The Martian and sent it to Andy and he, he read it and I, I don't think he liked it very much because it was a little bit off color but, uh, <laughs> you know, he was really nice about it. I, I saw on his website that he had done some, uh, he had written some Ernest Cline fan fiction before The Martian did anything like uh he wrote a short story, I think, that was part of the uh, Ready Player One sort of uh, universe. Oh, yeah. And I just thought, you know, and I thought, well, if he's writing fan fiction, then he'll appreciate my fan fiction. That's and, right. Uh, you know, he was, he was just really cool about it. And, and he offered me some advice about how his book blew up. But he was kind of like, I don't really know why, but I was just I was just writing and going about my business. And here I am, you know? Right. <laughs> so, that's pretty... He's a really cool guy. Yeah, he's got a... What a great story. I really love... I love that he's had so much success. Let's talk for a second about um, your comedic work. So I f- guess you are, right, the founder and editor of the Atlanta Banana. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell, tell us about that. I needed something that... To make sure that I was writing all the time. Right. Um, at, at the time, I was working on a novel, but... I didn't. I didn't have my day at that time in place. This is four or five years ago. So I was writing, you know, a thousand words here, a thousand words there, kind of thing. But I wasn't writing like every day. And so I said, okay, I'm going to start this thing that's like the Onion, but Atlanta mm-hmm. only, and I'm going to publish to it every day. And that's what I did. Um, and I did that also because. You can publish all you want to your personal blog, but a lot of times friends and family even will see that you're posting links to your own blog, and they'll be like, I don't want to read your blog, you know. <laughs> but, but if you start something that sounds like a newspaper, and, uh, you know, like I always refer to the paper in a, in a sort of a royal we context, even though it's me doing 98% of the work, I still call it we because I want it to be understood that it's meant to be greater than me. It's meant... You know, it's meant to be an entity unto itself. Right. Um, so that's why I started. And um, I just have a lot of joy sort of pointing out things that I think are sort of either deserving of lifting up or maybe deserving of having a little fun put at them. And do you think that you're... I, I'd be curious. You do um, some stand-up comedy as well, right? I did do that, yeah. And I... Um, 
I sort of ran into the same problem with that that I did with um, being a musician is that it happens late at night. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my my lady Megan is a nurse. Uh, we get up pretty early in the morning. Uh, so I just don't like being out late. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. I, I guess I'm just curious how maybe doing comedy or writing, even if it's writing comedically, how that influenced or... You know, is it similar to the work that you do on like Ten Thousand Gods or on your other fiction or nonfiction that you write? Did the two influence each other at all, or um, they're just oh, yeah. there? It just sounds like there's a lot of different storytelling going on that you find lots of different mediums for your storytelling, um, and I'm curious how they all kind of intersect. Well, I guess I think of it some ways like cross-training, you know. Um, running is good for your cycling, is good for uh, all of that kind of thing, you know. Right. Um, so the more, uh, it just, first of all, it just feels good to, to use my brain to be creative, um, regardless of length, I guess, you know. Right. The, joy of, the joy of a joke is all about brevity and that, just the tiny little uh, nuances of a particular word and and cadence and things like that, and that's that's enjoyable to me. But also, like you know, I enjoy writing ten thousand gods. Um, I, I, if I had my way, I would be David Sedaris. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. So he's he's so funny. I also love about him that he's so writerly. You know, I mean, he um, <laughs> he likes wearing little vests. He's incredible. He's somebody that I, you're right. I'd not thought about it before. I mean, I, I have read him and then I of course have heard him on the radio and then I have had the opportunity to see him live and he's the same storyteller through all of those different mediums and outlets. But then at the same time, I don't know. He also is able to tweak his storytelling to fit the, you know, the audience or the, or the thing that he's doing. And that's really impressive. Um, that he can kind of jump from radio to in person. I'm sure you've heard enough authors to know not every author is great in front of people. And, but he is hilarious. Um, and then his writing is so smart. He just is a smart guy. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I love that his, I love that he's able to be funny and point out funny things about people, but so often the humor is directed at himself. Yeah. And yeah. I've really tried to uh, to emulate and internalize that because you can still make, I, I still want to make statements about uh, humanity, the human condition, etc. but you don't, you don't have to point at other people. I don't, I don't enjoy pointing at other people and laughing. I don't think that's very noble. Um, but pointing at yourself and revealing things that you might not like to reveal about yourself just is, is embarrassing, but it feels good in the end, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, because it, it, it's vulnerable, and I think not only do people in this world we live in especially, I think people really value vulnerability and authenticity, and it it also, I would imagine, is cathartic for the writer or the com- or the comic. I, I think, um, I don't know, that to me is far more effectual than poking fun um, and far less mean, I think. I think you can be very funny and very clever without without being mean. Um, and so I think David Sedaris does that, and I think that's a... 
what a great, I don't know, what a great example for, for so many of us who are trying to write or trying to tell stories. I think he's, he really has it nailed. Yeah, I really enjoyed him a lot. So, I also like, uh, I'm just gonna say I really love Jack Handy. Oh yeah, um, yeah. You might remember the Deep Thoughts. He, but that's that's really his name, and um, he's got a he's got a couple of books. He's got a novel called The Stench of Honolulu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just saying the title makes me laugh. <laughs> it's just so the whole thing is the most ridiculous thing you've ever read. I just love it so much. I always like to ask uh, people who are on the podcast their favorite indie bookstores because independent bookstores you know much like much like fledgling writers or you know people who are trying to make it big in the publishing world independent bookstores don't always get um their fair share of the marketing pie and so i'd love to know do you have a favorite indie bookstore that you visited or one in your area that you want to give a little shout out to well of course in atlanta we've got acapella i also like uh, atlanta vintage books um here in town mostly because it's huge it's really, really big, and you gotta you gotta love a really big bookstore because it's like being in a rabbit warren. You know, there's like there's just, there's rooms to discover. I like that, and they're also uh, one of the people that works there is a, is a typewriter fan. And I'm a typewriter fan, so oh you know, fun. That's to be enjoyed. And then there's the Read It Again book. I don't know if that counts as an indie bookstore, but they're uh, I sell a lot of books that I've read there. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I always like, I, I love asking this question too because I love whenever we travel, I always try to find the indie bookstores. Whether they, And what's so great about independent bookstores is they're all different. So some of them are used bookstores and some of them have a little bit of both. Um, and you're right, the bigger the store, the more of a treasure hunt it kind of feels like. And um, you kind of get lost in the shelves. And um, yeah, I, I love asking people where they where they like to go when they want to browse books somewhere other than on the internet. <laughs> Yeah, well, finding new books is just such a great feeling, as you know. Yes, I, I, well, I, of course, agree. <laughs> and then the other question that I ask everybody is, what are you reading right now? So what is on your nightstand? What are you reading right now? Uh, on my nightstand is uh, a Trigger Warning by Neil Gaiman. Okay. Um, that was uh, given to me. Uh, my lady Megan gave me that. It's uh, Neil Gaiman short stories. I'm not making very good progress on it just yet, but it is on the nightstand, so it will get consumed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I recently read um, All the Light We Cannot See. That's a great book. Oh, gosh, isn't it? Uh, I, I we are. I just looked today. We're a small bookstore, and so it's always fun to see which books are the best sellers. And, and you know, best sellers for us is very different than maybe a best seller for a Barnes & Noble or something like that. But total we have sold we have sold 72 i think copies of all the light we cannot see which is incredible for you know for a hefty hefty hardback book uh but it's oh it's so good yeah it was great um all the laughing monsters or maybe it's just the laughing monsters um that was a great book um i finally made it through the imperfectionist it came highly recommended i didn't love it but i made it through it is that the um, Tom Rath? Rathman. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't understand. Some Sometimes, some books to me just feel like just endless characterization. Mm. And uh, I want to, I, I don't know. I, I, so I'm, I'm reading it going, gosh, where's the story? But Megan read it and was just enthralled. Love it. Yeah, I, I. That's the one about journalists overseas, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I, 
I, I did really enjoy it. Now, it's been years since I read it, but I did really like it when it came out. But I do see what you're saying because it's definitely character-heavy and not necessarily story-heavy, if I remember right. Yeah, and I say that as a romance author. I don't have a romance book, so... <laughs> oh, you do? How funny. So, so you really have covered it yeah, off. I, you do fantasy and you've done some romance. Yeah, I know that it's terrible because... What you're supposed to do is pick a genre, pick a tiny niche, and write 50 books in that tiny <laughs> genre or niche. Uh, but I'm, I'm going about it. I probably will be poor for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I think a lot, of, uh, a lot of writers are in the same boat. Well, thanks so much, uh, Jim, for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. You can find full episodes of From the Front Porch on iTunes or on our store website, www.bookshelfthomasville.com. To find out more about Jim Hodgson and the stories that he is writing, you can follow him on his website, www.jimhodgson.com. That's J-I-M-H-O-D-G-S-O-N. We'll have full links um, in our show notes to his website, Twitter, and the Atlanta Banana website as well. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week.